Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories edition. In all of the installments of Pitbull Stories, I have special guests who share their stories of what it was like to um, acquire a Pitbull type dog, to live with a Pitbull type dog, and kind of share their experience of how they worked through some of those stigmas and how they advocate for the breed now. I've been the proud owner of two blocky headed dogs and our current blocky headed dog, Waylon, is an American Staffordshire Terrier, and I know what it feels like to experience some of the stigmas that the world wants to throw at you, and my intention with this series is to reassure all of you amazing blocky-headed owners that our beloved pit bulls are amazing, and we can play a huge role in advocating for the breed. So please enjoy these episodes, and if you'd like to be a guest on Pitbull Stories, please send me a DM over on the Instagram at a feeling underscore NCO. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories edition. I have another fantastic guest with me, and I am so excited to hear all things Sapphire. So Ashley, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourselves for the listeners? Sure. Um, I'm Ashley. I have a dog named Sapphire. She's a Pitbull um, rescue. Um, we live in Chicago, Illinois, and we love life. She hates dogs, but she loves people. Um, and she just loves life. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yes. And, and I love so much like watching your, your Instagram feed, because I think it's really important for people to recognize that amazing dogs still sometimes don't like dogs. Right. And that's totally okay. So I'm so excited to dive into her story. So actually, do you want to kind of take it to the beginning? Well, I don't know. Do you want to tell us, did you have Pitbull type dogs before Sapphire or is she your first? No, actually. Yeah, no. Um, I grew up, we didn't really have dogs in my family until I was like maybe 10 or so. And then, um, we bought a, a, a dog, I think it was an English Springer Spaniel. And then, um, now my parents have like a little white fluffy thing. So I didn't really have any pit bulls at all so um yeah she's my first but yeah god okay so so tell us um how you originally found her right so she's a rescue so yeah. kind of tell us, like how you connected with her yeah so um I started volunteering with a rescue in Chicago called one tail at a time um and like just volunteer like going you know to the they have an adoption center so going there like we play with the dogs walk them have fun you know and they have all different types of dogs there so I was able to get exposure to pit bulls and like little chihuahuas and everything in between um and then they also they also have a foster program so you can sign up and get approved to be a foster um so I have got approved to be a foster and then like her it was it was kind of very random like her um, she came up as somebody who needed like a, a random five day foster. So it was really short. And I was kind of excited about the, the lack of having to commit to like a full foster. Um, and <laughs> sure. was cute. I didn't even realize she was a pit bull at first. I was like, she's just really cute. So I was like, I'll do it. Um, so I only had her for a short period first. And then eventually she needed a long-term foster. So I, I, you know, I kind of fell in love with her during those five days. And then when she needed a long-term foster, I was like me. I'll do it. And then eventually a doctor, but so yeah, it's just a weird story. Yeah. Okay. So, um, tell us more about, um, how she came into the rescue. Did you guys get any info on her before, um, she came to the rescue? Hardly. We don't have that much. She was a stray. So she was a stray in, 
Um, so we're in Chicago, a, a suburb called Aurora. So she was in Aurora, Illinois um, at their animal control, which we don't actually get a lot of dogs from there. So I'm not quite sure how we ended up getting her, but um, I think it was actually, if I remember correctly, uh, usually some of our, our, our foster coordinators get like birthday dogs. And I think she was like a birthday rescue, like this is the dog I want for my birthday. Um, but I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I think that's what it was. But yeah, she was a stray. So I don't know much about like her actual story, which sucks. Right. Okay. So um, how old was she presumably when you started fostering her? So she was, I believe four. So she was three when they first got her. And like, by the time that I got her, she was four-ish. Yes. So now, yeah, now she's about six. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So I want to hear just a little bit more kind of like of, of your journey with her. Did you know about um, some of like the behavioral stuff when you took on fostering her? Like, why don't you kind of tell the listeners like what that looks like? Because I think that a lot of people listening can relate. Like I started fostering this dog and then mm -hmm. I had to become a dog trainer. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, that's kind of the same thing. Um, so they mentioned in that first post where it was like, you need somebody needs to watch this dog for five days they mentioned she doesn't like dogs I think they said like she's a grade a asshole with other dogs I think that was like the exact <laughs> one. and I was like well I don't know what that means but I'm like I live alone it's just me like I was like I can figure out the no dog thing for five days it's fine um and then it was like I don't remember exactly the, during those five days like what I like what happened with her in terms of other dogs but I do remember her being like oh shit, this is like way worse than just what I thought it was going to be. It was like, oh, I need to like literally not walk her around other dogs. Um, but it wasn't that bad during those five days. It was when I got her again that I was like, oh wait, she's like really bad. Um, she had a muzzle that came with her when I first started fostering her or like those five days. And I don't, I, like nobody really taught me how to use it. So I was just kind of like, it's okay if I don't use this, right? And so I didn't really use it at first. And then they came back and were like, you like have to use this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so then, then I realized that she's like terrible with other dogs. So I started using it, but yeah, it was, it started off not, not too bad. And then it was like, oh yeah, she's, she's bad. She's bad. Right. Okay. So can you kind of expand on that? So like, what does that look like as far as like, um, you know, the, the presentation of like her dislike for dogs? Yeah. So, um, and I would say if I'm remembering from the start, it was the second she would see another dog, she would start barking, lunging like in, in her bark I mean obviously like you know it's a she's a pit bull so like her bark sounds a lot worse than it might actually be um if it were coming from a little dog but so it would sound like it was very like deep throated bark and it sounded like she was literally going to kill the dog and it didn't matter how far away the dog was it was as far away as it, she saw like she saw it she barked um we've gotten to the point where it's a lot better than that but um it was definitely very like i am gonna go after that thing right now okay kind of, and then did they do any dog testing with her? Like, did they try, like, is it just a leash thing? Yeah. So I think at the very, um, what I heard was at the, the shelter where she came from, I had heard that, and I don't know if this is true, but they had done like a leash test and she was apparently okay. And when they first picked her or like decided to pick her for a one tail at a time dog, um, cause they usually don't pick dogs that are like super, super dog aggressive. Like she is for one tail at a time dogs. They pick more of like the medical need dogs and stuff. Um, she apparently had been okay with like, I think there was a certain type of dog, like females. She was okay with like small, whatever. And then I think it just turned out that once she like decompressed and everything, she was not as good, but then they 
kind of like once she was like fine in her environment they're like oh shit she's terrible um but at first like she was she was fine but then since then there hasn't been really anything um and I got her so late in the game that like I feel like I have to almost undo everything that she's done or that like you know hasn't been done almost from like lack of socialization so yeah for sure so um I I love so much that you're with me because I wanted to get your perspective on this because I feel like you know there are already a lot of stigmas right surrounding blocky headed dogs and then you put a muzzle on a dog and you you know like nope she's not good with dogs um, I can only imagine, right, that that attracts quite a bit of attention, right? I'm sure for better and for worse in some circumstances. So um, can you share with the listeners, like, what your community's reaction to her has been? Absolutely. So actually, for the most part, very positive, uh, which is awesome. Like, um, it, it's, it's weird, like, since I, I mean, I guess I do a good job of, like, keeping my, you know, chest up, my head up while I'm walking her, but um like people a lot of times like come up to me like can I pet your dog I'm like well what if she was like terrible with humans and I would be like no but I'm like yes you can because I want her to stay like connected with humans um so like because she's perfectly fine with people uh so for the most part it's almost like opposite of what you would think but then you have the random people like the other day where somebody what like literally ran away from her because uh she was no I don't think it was because she was wearing a muzzle either I think it was just a dog like she saw a dog and she was like oh get your dog away from me and like and I mean it could have been she saw a pit bull it could have been she saw the muzzle and she was just like get away from me like telling me to get away from her as I'm walking on a public sidewalk um so like we get the two extremes basically right Oh my God. Well, and I feel like, you know, being in a city environment, you have the luxury of like, there's just more people and hopefully the vast majority of them are a little bit more progressive in their thinking. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing is living here, um, especially like the neighborhood I live in is a very progressive neighborhood too. Um, Like people are just very, they just understand. They're like, okay, like there's a lot of reactive dogs in my neighborhood, not a lot of muzzled dogs, but a lot of reactive dogs. And so like, we get it. Like if you see a dog coming at you from, you know, from right, right in front of you, you like one of you pretty much goes to the other side of the, you know, the other side of the street, like, doesn't matter, you know. Like unspoken, you see each other, you both are like, okay, create some space here. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. So how did your family feel about her? Uh, They live in Maryland. So they're like, you know, on the East coast getting a crap ton of snow right now. Uh, But (laughs) they, you know, we grew up, I would, I would, I don't really know how I grew up because I don't really remember that. But like, since I started kind of being involved with one tail at a time and then like starting to foster her, they, I remember I have one memory of my mom saying like, she her thinking that pit bulls were illegal in Illinois and I'm like well, that was a Denver thing that's like a you know like her like a BSL thing and I'm like no I literally and I, I'm like you know I literally have a pit bull dog in my apartment she's like no I'm like but then they're not illegal if I have one in my so I think that they're and then my dad's the same way it's very much just like the normal stigma of like pit bulls like really couldn't you get like a nice little cute dog I'm like but she's cute so yeah but that, they've grown to love her though they love her um, they got a Christmas present this year. So oh my it's God, great. that is adorable. It's my favorite when the family members are like rightfully like a little skeptical because yeah. obviously they care about you. Right. And then like, they start to realize like everything that, that she has brought into your life and then start to like love and appreciate her. Oh yeah. They love her. Like she's part of the family now, even though my, my dad's met her once, but my mom hasn't, but yeah, they love her. Like she's another child because I don't have any children. So She's the child. 
my God, that is amazing. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, so I want to talk just a little bit about um, what you kind of did as far as like understanding her, not only like as an individual, but as a blocky headed dog. And I know that like you have really committed to training her and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, a lot of us, like when we first get involved in blocky headed dogs, like we love them, but maybe there are little residual stigmas that we kind of like unlearn as we kind of get to know the dog. So I don't know if you want to speak to like what your journey was with that with her. Yeah, it was definitely like, cause I mean, she had a lot of the stigmas of, you know, a blocky head pit bull type dog. Like she's, you know, has that aggressive bark and like, does the, you know, the, I'm going to kill you, like the teeth, the front teeth come out. Um, and so just like, I mean, just like tr trying to like train, uh, we do positive reinforcement only, of course, like it's the best scientifically based approach to training a dog. Um, yeah. and just like give like constantly, like, just like rewarding her instead of like reprimanding her for the things that she's doing wrong. Like I'm like constantly reward, like for the things you're doing right. Cause she does the right thing sometimes, like not, a, not a lot, but she does <laughs> the right thing. Now she does it more than she used to, but um, yeah, just like constantly giving treats and like helping, like, and then of course other people around me are hopefully seeing that I'm doing that and like understanding that like, I'm not just like walking this, you know, you know, crazy reactive dog around and not doing anything about it. Like I'm actually trying to help her and help me and help everybody else and help the stigma around what a dog like her, you know, entails to people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I have so much respect for how you live and manage her. Seriously. It's amazing. Um, so as far as the, the training is concerned, um, yeah. did you have support from the rescue, like early on with like starting with the training? Like, how did that look like when you decided to long-term foster her, how'd you kind of get started with the training? Yeah. So, um, it's weird. Like when I first started having her, they kind of is not right when I first started, but like eventually they, they started a behavior support program at one tail at a time. And because I had her and I think I, I might've just been fostering her and maybe about to adopt her. Cause it was kind of like weird. It was around this time, two years ago. Um, they started this program where like volunteers would go through this kind of like small little training program to like be able to train some of our, some of one tail at a time's like most, you know, um, behavior dogs they need help with. Um, so I actually joined that. So she actually came with like free training for life. And I actually have no idea what that means still because I have been able to like go through um, all of these people to help. But like, so I joined this behavior training program and it actually helped me so, so much. All positive reinforcement based. Uh, but it helped me like realize like how to train other dogs besides her also, of course. But then like what kind of like protocols I can give to her to help her as well. So that really helped. They do have, again, she's like a, they call her a, I think it was a forever dog type situation at one tail at a time, like long-term forever dog or something. Um, right. So I could like get help if I wanted to. And like, part of me is like, just ask for help sometimes, just ask for help, but I can't because I know that I can do it on my own. Um, but yes, they, 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 they will help at any time that I need help. They will, somebody will help me for sure. Oh my God. And that's so amazing, right? To like have yeah. that support and not yeah. like have to go down the rabbit hole of trying to find like a qualified person to come and help you. Exactly. And we, I, I know a lot of qualified people in this area too, that would come too. So that's another good thing, but she, yeah, people love her so much here that anybody would help. Oh my God. Anybody. That is so cool. That is so cool. So I don't know if you want to speak a little bit to like, um, 
what your lifestyle is like, because I know sometimes people get really intimidated by like a dog that can't be around other dogs. And it seems like you guys have found like such a beautiful balance of like you both, both your needs are still being met and she's perfectly satisfied with life without like hanging out with other dogs. So if if you want to just kind of talk about like what that transition was like. Oh, totally. So, um, it's a little bit of a weird transition because I'm a, so I'm a group fitness instructor and personal trainer. Um, so my schedule is just crazy in general. It's very, it's not nine to five. I do not do nine to five. Um, but when I started fostering her, like the long-term time, so this was like, you know, two and a half years ago or whatever, um, I had just switched jobs basically. So I switched from one, basically one gym to another gym. And so things were like, I basically had nothing going on. For a little bit because you know at gym jobs you kind of have to like build your own kind of schedule and stuff so I kind of oddly built my schedule around her so like she was my life for a few weeks and then like when I started to like get like different clients and classes and such I, st- I kind of built my life based on like what she needed which is not normal I know that's not normal at all but um she like she's very able to be by herself a lot so I can like leave her for like there were times where I was gone for like 11 hours and I just left her and she was fine I come home she's like oh yeah we're gonna go outside now cool this is awesome um but yeah it's just like my schedule's so crazy and I'm still able to like and sometimes I'm like I'll come home for like I'll have an hour and I'll just like be able to like give her little snuggles and I'm like sorry I gotta go again she's she's fine I guess perfectly fine so yeah So it sounds like it makes her it easier, right? And I'm sure like in COVID times, you probably aren't like going to like super busy places like you were before that, but it sounds like her ability to be alone probably helps you, right? As her owner, when like you're going somewhere and you know, there's going to be dogs there and it probably isn't going to be a super successful environment for her. Yeah. So I think we don't really, I don't really go places with her with their other dogs because we just can't. So I just go like a lot of times. Um, so I guess not this summer, but like last summer when we could go places, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> I would go so my one tail at a time friends because most of my friends are actually one, t- one tail at a time people. Um, they would go to like, we would have like pop-up bars, you know, at certain places in the city where like you'd bring your dogs and do events and stuff. And I would just go there by myself and like, pet everybody else's dog and she I would just be like you gotta stay home sorry and actually she has a cardboard cutout like a giant cardboard cutout that we bring to some places just to be like Sapphire's here she's here Uh, oh my god I love that so much you're like he doesn't really want to be here in person but in spirit yeah Yeah. because there's one one event we do every year and it was obviously virtual this year but it's called houndstooth ball and it's every like november um and last year you know we went to the real thing it was a very fancy gala ball and we just brought her little her little uh cardboard cutout she was there basically so she wasn't really there but she was there that is so cool i love it so it does it doesn't sound like you like like it's really that that challenging like you just understand no. her limits and it's easy just to build that into your schedule right yeah it's just more of a it's more of a personal thing like you know some people love going to dog parks love going to the the pet store where they can like you know bring their dog and they can mingle with other dogs and like I just don't care about doing that stuff and like I know she, she definitely cannot go to any of those places so it's like I just know that I have to leave her bat behind and it's you know I get to enjoy those places and pet everybody else's dogs and it's perfectly fine so right. I, I kind of love it yeah. I love that so much. And I yeah. love how like, you know, you just took her on as a foster and then it eventually adopted her and you just accept yeah. her for who she is. Yeah. Right. Like it, it blows my mind every time I think about it. Cause like at first, like I live in a very small studio apartment in Chicago. Like it's like 380 square feet. It's so small. But like when I first got her, I'm like, she's huge. 
and she was just her energy like pitbull like her energy is just like matches mine perfectly like yeah she wants to go do things but then she's like okay i'm just gonna sit here and lay here and go to sleep and she's like perfectly fine with not having like a, a super amount of space to zoom me like she had a little bit of space but not like you know she doesn't need you know her her perfect yard quite yet maybe one day we'll get that for her yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. And like, I love, I love those matches, right? Like it's almost yep. kismet, right? Like it yep. seems kind of random, but then you're like, it was meant to be, she was yep. supposed to come to me, right? Like our lives yeah. are so compatible. Yes. It's perfect. It's perfect. That is so cool. Okay. So now that, you know, you're like a full-blown advocate for, <laughs> for people type dogs in training, do you want to kind of share with the listeners, like, how you try and lead by example so that you can um, help people understand like what fantastic dogs these big old blockheads can be. Yes, yes. I mean, I do a, so much work with one tail at a time with other rescues here in Chicago, um, just trying to promote them. And like, I mean, of course I try on her Instagram, I try to show, I show the bad moments too. I'm trying to like be like, okay, this is her. She's not, you know, this is her being like a bad dog. But then like, here's her like being, you know, with, progress with training and everything her being a good dog and then like when her when she's inside and how like perfect she is inside and like how she is with kids I don't interact with kids a whole lot so I can't really you know speak to that too much but she loves kids um and just all that kind of stuff and just trying to like just to promote how much these dogs are like giving and they're they just want to like love you and love people and and just give back almost all that we're giving to them they just want to give it all back all the love oh my god yeah. Well, I'm like, you know, there's, there's a lot of variation in, in blacky headed dogs and mixes and stuff like that, but a very common thing theme for the most part is that they're very human social. Yes. Right. And I think that, I don't know about you, right. But my previous dog, Sunny was very much like Sapphire. Great with people, super questionable slash aggressive yeah. dogs. And I would take that day in and day out. I would much rather have a dog who is people social than dog social. Definitely, for sure. Because people social sometimes you just can't tell, and it could be like very iffy, and like you're like, oh, should you pet this dog? Like I don't know. And then like with, with dogs, you just you just stay away from dogs. It's you know like people come up to her all the time, be like, can I pet your dog? And I'm like, sure, because it's totally fine. Like she will, she might try to nuzzle her muzzle off a little bit. She'll just like go like, hey, take my muzzle off. No, we won't. But um, yeah, she just loves the people so much. She's such a snuggly dog. You know, she's so snuggly. God. Yeah, she looks like a total damn delight. And you yeah. best know that if I show up in Chicago, I'm going to be calling you for sure. Oh, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh oh she loves meeting new people. I try to get her to meet because I don't want her to become human aggressive in any way. So I'm like, keep meeting people. Keep saying hi to people. Like, I don't want people to be afraid of her. I want people to be able to come up to her and like say hi. Stuff, absolutely you know? yeah right and I think that like our dog social like our people social dogs like among yeah. among among the the pandemic are like um excuse me I'm missing people too right exactly <laughs> right yeah because I haven't been you know I haven't been socializing with people as much either and so I'm like I'm constantly trying to be like she's really great I promise just say hi to her so the other day when that situation where the woman just like was afraid of her and like backed away and said get your dog away from me that kind of like threw me off a little bit I was like wait but she's just a dog my chest right now she's kissing my face right now she's, i wish you could see this oh my god it's so cute oh yeah god. such so, a good girl you love that so i want to circle back to the muzzle training just a little bit so um she kind of came muzzle trained or did like you really like kind of double down on like okay you have a muzzle let's make sure you're comfortable in it 
she actually did come to me muscle train because she she had so many fosters before me like over like people just couldn't like not to say bad about those but like they just couldn't handle her in their environment that they were in so I'm in a relatively quiet-ish neighborhood of Chicago but there's a couple other neighborhoods that she was in first that are a little bit crazier and there's a lot more people and dogs like walking around um so she wasn't like the best fit for those neighborhoods but they had all started training her muzzle wise before I got to her so then when she came to me she was muzzle trained but I had no idea really what a muzzle was when I first got her that first day I was like how do I put this on so I actually didn't put it on her and then I got yelled at for not putting it on her because they're like you gotta put this on her I was like oh crap um so then I, I did some YouTube videos and learned, but she was very like, you can literally stick it on her in two seconds. She kind of like goes away from it a little bit, but um, she's very easy to have it on. Once she's outside, she's fine. She doesn't even realize she has it on. Um, so I just, I've done a little bit of like peanut butter, you know, where the, the mouth is to try to get her to, to associate, keep associating positive things with it. But otherwise she's just, you know, she loves it. All the treats on the walk probably help too, to kind of associate the muscle. She gets so many treats crazy how lady gets but yeah right well and it's like when you live in a, in a city environment and you have a dog that can be dog reactive you have no choice right like you're, oh, yeah. you're always training like you don't get the luxury of just like a casual yes. stroll yes I mean I did like the, the like it only I kind of really started like hardcore training her maybe about a year ago so I adopted her two years ago actually so then like the first year I kind of like didn't really understand how to kind of train her that well and then like it was like last year I started to to realize, oh, every walk is a training walk. Like literally every walk you need to bring, bring treats to. And so now pretty much every walk, probably three quarters or more of the time, I have my little treat belt. And like, even if I don't have to use it, I still know that I have these treats. We see a dog, she gets a treat. See a dog, she gets a treat. And just constant, every single walk is a training walk. Oh my God, right? It, it, it's like, it's a lifestyle change, right? It, when you're it, like, well, and yep. I imagine like not having a dog, then bringing this blocky headed dog that has to wear a muzzle and then realizing like, oh my God, I have to work with her every single time we're out. Like, I'm sure yep. that's a bit of a shift for you too. Oh my God. So much. Yeah. I mean, I started to, I mean, it's now part of my life, but I don't really think about it. But at the beginning, it was definitely like, that's why I didn't really train her as much on the walks at the beginning. Cause I didn't really understand like what to do. And like, I did a lot of like research and like, this is when I was kind of learning how to be a, a volunteer dog trainer at one tail too. And kind of like understanding what's and it was just so complex though but like what what they need um and like how to like desensitize her and counter condition her to the dogs and like now I've realized like literally every every walk you have to every walk's a training walk even if it is a five minute walk it is still a training walk oh my god but okay so a lot, but it's good so everything you've learned from her you've been able to kind of translate those skills to help other dogs in the rescue Yes, exactly. Um, and of course, every dog is different. So that's another thing I'm learning a lot more, like, particularly right now is because we, we do get a lot of reactive dogs um, in our program, and they could be reactive to other dogs, they might be reactive just to like squirrels and bikes and things, um, or reactive to people, or sometimes they're just leash reactive or leash frustrated, and they don't understand like what a leash is, because a lot of them do come from the south, and then come up to us. Um, and they haven't even seen a leash ever. So I've been able to kind of use my, more my experience that with Sapphire to try to see like what of the things I know with her can help those dogs, even though some of them don't work. Like you really, we realize like some of the things I do with her don't work with other dogs. Um, but it's kind of like a really good learning experience to like understand and understand the behavior of dogs. It's like really cool. I love it. Oh 
my God. Right. And I feel like we all have that one dog that just kind of sets us on this trajectory yeah. of like learning and understanding dogs. And, and I love so much that you're able to like give back to the rescue that like gave her to you. Like what a cool, yeah. like full circle thing. Right. I mean, that's why I like, I mean, I knew as soon as I adopted her, I was never going to go away from them because they are so supportive. Like if I, I mean, I don't know a lot about other rescues and other places of the country, but like they are insanely supportive even during this whole COVID thing like if you need something you just you'll get it like you ask for it you'll get it like they'll so people will support you in whatever way you need and just to see that with people even on an individual personal level like of course I'm going to give back as much as I can to the dogs and like volunteer help train like do whatever because it's amazing yes oh my god and like right not all rescues are created equal and I love that like you are connected with such a fabulous resource because you know, that's, that's what people need is they need that like continued support because let's be honest, yeah. bringing home a dog and realizing they have behavior issues is not, is not an easy thing to tackle. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, she, that's the, they are people at one tail are amazing. They're just constantly like, I mean, she came with a free adoption fee too. So I'm like, I have to at least give back what her adoption fee would have been in terms of like my, you know, my, my gestures to people. So um, yeah, it's amazing. Right. Did you realize like what a unicorn adopter you were at the time? Not really at all. No, I had no idea. <laughs> no clue. I just, I didn't even think I was going to adopt her at all. And then I was like, I guess I'm going to keep her. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like I, I, she, yeah, she, she had so many failures with other people and not to say anything bad about them. Like their, their lifestyles just weren't the way mine is. And I'm, you know, as a single human and, you know, I, I was able to shift my life to, to how her life needs to be. I was like, this is, I need to keep her. There's no other choice than to keep her. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, I think that that's a really good sign of like an amazing rescue is, is them recognizing like what the individual dog needs. Right. And realizing that like, it's not the adopter or foster's fault. Right. It's just that like mm -hmm. certain dogs need certain circumstances. Right. And not yeah. everyone is up for the task of taking on a blocky headed dog who is dog reactive. Right. Like yeah. that, that's a, that can be a big ask for a, the average adopter. Yeah. And actually, I think at first they were asking um, for an adopter like out in the suburbs that had a yard because that's just what they thought that she needed, which is very true. Like most dogs like her probably need that. And then I think that once, you know, I inquired about adopting her after I, I literally fostered her for, I think, about eight months before I finally said, hey, I want to keep her. They're like, oh, crap. Like you want to. OK, like you've had her for this long. Like You can do it. And I think they're fine. I think that kind of helps them to realize like, oh, we don't necessarily need to give dogs like her this fabulous area like in the suburbs, which is really hard to find. It's hard to find a family in the suburbs, like, I mean, she's kid friendly, but a lot of our dogs are not kid friendly, but like to find that, to find a huge yard with no other dogs, it's impossible to find. So like to be able to find like somebody to adopt her, that's not that is like almost like helping both of us learn, like me and one tail at a time learn like, oh, okay. Like we don't need to like, you know, find these perfect like suburban homes for everybody. Like there's other people out there too. Oh my God. I love that perspective so much. And you were so right. Yeah. Like, I think that, you know, as rescue groups and I'm sure like, you know, breeders in the same way, like trying oh, yeah. to come up with this, the, the perfect ideal home. And I yep. think we have to remind ourselves that like, th there can be beautiful exceptions to a rule we it, think really matters, you know? So, yes. Yeah. Cause a lot of rescues do like a lot of like, and it's not wrong to do these things, Like they do like home checks and like, 
other things to try to like, if, you know, and if you, if you don't check one of the boxes, like you can't adopt that dog. And like, she, like I, they really needed a yard for her and I did not check that box at all, but yet they still, uh, because they, they trusted me of course as well, but um, they let me keep her. And, and I think that, you know, we all kind of learn from that. Like you don't need to be perfect to have a little pit bull that's aggressive towards dogs. Like everybody can learn from the situation. Even like, I mean, just looking at the individual and recognizing that like dogs can actually be really successful in certain situations. Right. And I think that, you know, a lot of rescues mean really well. Right. And like, they want people to have a six foot fence and, and I totally understand like trying to be responsible and like vetting people, but I think that that also limits the potential success a dog could have in a situation if they didn't have that, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And that's a lot of like what one tail at a time does here too, is like, we work a lot with like the South side, which is our, you know, underserved community here in Chicago. And like, we're, um, they have a, pro- a separate program from one tail at a time called crisp that like tries to keep animals with their, their, their owners. Cause a lot of owners will come into the shelter and be like, I can't have this dog anymore. Like it doesn't fit my life. I can't pay for its vet bills and stuff. And we try to, like give them like what they need to try to keep that dog versus having that dog come to the shelter. So it's like trying to keep people with their loved animals that they love so much versus being like, your home isn't perfect. Like, let's move you to a home that's perfect. Like in a, you know, fancy community or whatever. So kind of take this what an amazing program. And like, you know, I don't think we have to go like too deep down this rabbit hole, but I think that there's been a lot of prejudice bordering into like racist tendencies when it comes to like taking dogs and judging people on based on like their ability to like care for a dog so it brings me immense delight to hear that you all have created such a beautiful program that doesn't just take dogs from people right it actually resources that they can stay where they are yeah totally you just nailed it but yeah we just try to keep people with their dogs like no matter where they're from does not matter like everybody deserves their animal, like their companion, like there's no need to give it up because they can't afford that one vet visit that they can't afford. Like we're going to give them that resource to help them. So right? because ultimately those dogs already love those people. Right? Like, right. Or if we could hear from the dogs, they'd be like, why are you taking me from my person? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it's almost like taking that stigma away from the perfect, like white picket fence house that they have to live in to like, you know, they can thrive anywhere. Like my apartment, which is very, very small. Like they, she thrives here. So, and it's, it's great. I love it. And it's just like being proof of what's possible. You know, I think that just like, you know, the next block, he had a dog that comes into the rescue that's dog aggressive, right? We're rethinking Mm -hmm. like what that dog's ideal home could look like. Exactly. Right. Yeah, they ne- I, I don't think they ever expected that I was going to actually adopt her. Like, I just think that once, you know, once they got to know me a little bit, it was a little bit, di- bit different because they understood me, but like, they didn't think that I was gonna, you know, as a someone that was kind of a little bit unsure of my life at the point, you know, at that at time I was kind of like, what am I doing? <laughs> I don't know, but like, she helped me figure out what I'm doing with my life too. So we both helped each other. So, and like, okay, that's the best mutually beneficial relationship I've ever heard of, right? Like. <laughs> I would not be half the person I am without the grounding that my dogs offered me. Exactly. Right. God, Ashley, you were so amazing. Okay. So I want to hear from you before, before we wrap up here. Um, what is one pit bull myth that you just wish would die already? Oh oh my God. There's so many. Um, one, oh, I didn't really think of this. Um, I would say just the general, like aggressive, like, I'm, I mean, you know, and of course she is aggressive towards dogs, but like this, the general, like, oh, that's a pit bull. It's going to bite me. 
Like, that's the thing. Like, she's going to bite me. It's he's going to bite me, whoever it is. It's just like, oh, get that thing away from me type situation. Like, I can't be around that thing. Like, you know, like me as a, oh, a white woman can't have a pit bull type situation. Like, you know, that was a lot in one, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone listening is like, like has their arms in there. Like, yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So Ashley, if people want to connect with you in Sapphire, can you tell them the best way to find you? Uh, well, her Instagram is at Sapphire, the dog underscore. Um, yeah, she's pretty much the best way to get a, get a hold of me too, but yeah, sure. She, we post a lot of good videos and, and pictures. She's licking my face right now. My God, um, her sweet yeah. face. Okay. Well, I'll be sure to include that in the, in the uh, show notes so everyone can find you. Ashley, it has been a total delight. Thank you so much awesome. for chatting Thank with you me. so much. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can connect with me for training, you can go to my website, agfdogtraining.com. If you'd like more training inspiration and insight, you can follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. If you'd like to become a member and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash disorderly dogs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out on any future episodes and if you really like this podcast and you want to go above and beyond for me you could leave a five-star review over on apple podcast to help more like-minded individuals find us